Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And as you're opening up there, let me just say one more time how proud we are of our student and children's ministries here at First Baptist Church. And uh, we're so, so grateful for them. And uh, our children have gone to children's church. But I can say to you, youth over here, we're so proud of you guys. We're so thankful for you and so thankful for the role you play in the life of our church. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles open there, uh, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning of verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we ask if you would, please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, I ask that we would be changed by the power of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to think about something with me for a moment this morning. Here's, here's the question I have for you. What sort of wisdom did you get from your dad? This is something dads like to do. They like to impart wisdom to their children. What sort of wisdom did you get from your dad? I feel like my dad spent a lot of time helping me see that just because something looks a certain way, that does not mean that it actually is a certain way. I might have told you guys, one of the things I heard from my dad most growing up was this phrase, that's where they get you. He's always trying to make sure that we didn't get in any sort of a scam or anything like that. doesn't make sense, though, because nobody loves a pyramid scheme more than Chris Alexander. I don't know. He just like somehow separated that off from all that he taught me. I have all these sayings, though, that they used to sort of help me see these things. A new broom always sweeps really good, Matt. A new broom always sweeps really good. In other words, let's see how that goes in the long run before we jump in too, too quickly. Another one, he says, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Just heard that one before. One day, I, I took a class called Missiology in seminary, and the professor said, are there any phrases where you're from that wouldn't really make sense anywhere else? And I was like, this is my day. I have finally found the day where I am the guy at Southern Seminary. Nobody will have more colloquialisms than me today. Here's another one he would say, I wish I could buy that guy for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. 
He's heard that one before. But as a car dealer, one day I was with him at the dealership and an old man in overalls was walking in holding a coffee can. And dad said, you see that guy right there? He's probably the richest man on Sand Mountain. That coffee can he's holding there, because I was like, that's kind of weird. He's got a coffee can with him. He says, filled with cash. He's coming to buy a new truck here today. Ultimately, what was my dad trying to do? Ultimately, what was my dad trying to do? He's trying to teach me discernment. He's trying to teach me discernment. What, what, what are all these things saying? Don't judge by appearances. Don't, don't easily be taken in by that which is bright and shiny. Don't always believe the hype. Most people have something to sell, right? And have something to gain from whatever it is they're telling you or speaking to you about. I'll put it like this, maybe for us here in a more Christian environment. Gullibility is not a fruit of the Spirit. Gullibility is not a fruit of the Spirit. Now listen, I want us to be balanced in this though. There are some people who have become so discerning that they've forgotten how to love. You know, you've heard the other phrase, a broken clock's right twice a day. So some people are so discerning, they say there's a, a, a scandal behind every corner, that there's error under every rock, and a broken clock's right twice a day. Right? I mean, if you say everyone's wrong and you're discerning against everyone, eventually you're going to seem right because eventually, yeah, sure, somebody's going to do something wrong. Somebody's going to do something that's not right. There's some people who have become so discerning they're trying to manufacture error. You know why? Because they want people to click on the links to their blog or they want people to invite them to be on a panel discussion at a conference or they want people to watch them or they want to build a platform. Everybody's got something to sell. Don't forget it. We have to be balanced though. Remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 tells us this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. However, we can take this verse, a verse like this, and Christians can sometimes get lulled into thinking that the practice of biblical discernment is unhealthy or not in step with the Spirit. Christians are trusting people. Churches are communities that are built on trust. And so we tend to want to trust people. That's because of the work of Christ in our lives. But let's not forget, and this is a difficult balance to strike, but our Lord our, Himself told us this, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, this morning, I want to impress upon you the fact that godly discernment is an essential practice. I don't want us to become caustic or unloving are so skeptical that we don't believe anything anymore, or we don't believe anybody anymore, that we become jaded, bitter, that sort of thing. We have to avoid those things, but we do need to grow, and we have to grow in our practice of godly, biblical discernment. This morning, I want to show you three points I think will help you grow in your practice of godly discernment. Here's the first point, it's this. Be discerning even when, maybe even especially when, but be discerning even when something is spiritual. Be discerning even when something is spiritual. Our primary test of faith as Christians is what we believe, right? I mean, we, we always think about what we believe. However, I want you to know something. It's also important to recognize, make no mistake of this fact, that a secondary test of our faith is unbelief. Those things which we don't believe. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is unquestionably an exclusive truth claim. 
To, to believe the gospel necessarily means that you do not believe some other things. There are things you have to reject when you accept Jesus. In other words, I consider my marriage to be a, a great gift. I, I love the fact that I was able to say yes to marriage to my wife, Whitney. But to say yes to marriage to Whitney and to accept that gift is to necessarily say no to lots of other things. Is that not the case? I'll recognize this. All kinds of things you say no to when you say yes to this or that. Same is true with the gospel. Uh, sometimes I fear Christians feel so caved in on, so claustrophobic by an increasingly secular culture. That we will accept almost anything or praise almost anything so long as it sounds or seems spiritual. Now, I want you to sometime, maybe this afternoon even, just go by the bookstore. There's a books million down the, down the road here. You go to Barnes & Noble in Birmingham or wherever you might be. Someday go in a bookstore. It's a good practice. I love a good bookstore and like, like going to bookstores. Maybe buy a book while you're there. We, we want to keep bookstores open. It's an important thing. All that being said... Uh, go sometime when you're at the bookstore and go to the spirituality section, okay? Uh, go to the spirituality section or even the Christianity section or even the religion section, but in particular the spirituality section and notice the sorts of titles that are there in the spirituality section. It, it is a lie that the secular society we live in is unspiritual. There is a great and in fact increasing interest in spirituality in the world we live in. Years ago, Carl F.H. Henry uh, says that we are not seeing just an increase in secularism, but he's saying we are seeing a reversion to paganism in the modern world. And if you go to the spirituality section, you'll see the case. Uh, I don't know if you need your chakras aligned or not, but you can go to the spirituality section and find a book on it. And uh, you can find all sorts of different New Age spirituality books, all kinds of... I don't know what a chakra is, by the way. I, I don't know. It sounded funny to me. Uh, but anyway, so... I don't know. But you can find all kinds of things in the New Age spirituality, in the spirituality section. All kinds of New Age thought, all sorts of things that claim to be spiritual. But Christians have no interest in vague spirituality. We know better than that. We, we cannot be satisfied just for people to believe there's something more than the material and physical world. Why, why is it that so important? Well, John tells us here in verse 1, does he not? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There are spiritual realities. There are metaphysical realities that are not from God. We believe in spiritual warfare. I, I believe in a literal personal devil. I, I believe in demons. I believe in a spiritual world. We sometimes look down our noses at the superstition of the ancient world or even in developing and in, in less modern cult, cultures and countries in our own times. And yet so often they are more right about the realities of the spiritual world around us than those of us in the West are, even Christians. We do live in a haunted world, a world haunted by the devil and his demons. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, John tells us. Not every spirit is from God. Not every message is from God. I, I want you to be aware, my friends, of anyone who would teach you about something or impose upon you something other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I... 
I couldn't care less about having the corner on the market of your spiritual growth. I've already told you, everybody's trying to sell something. Some of you uh, more skeptical, more cynical folks in the room might say, yeah, he's just afraid that I'm going to start tithing to Deepak Chopra or somebody instead of him. That's what he's worried about. That's not the case at all. I'm not worried about having the, the corner on the market of your spiritual life. What I do want, though, is for the Lord Jesus Christ to have the corner on the market of your spiritual life. I don't want you to go somewhere where you're not going to get the truth. I don't want you to go to someone or buy books or listen to podcasts where you're not going to get the truth. And I'm not saying that there's no truth uh, out there that we could find, that we could borrow from other things and other thinkers and everything else. I, I certainly think that's the case. I, I believe in reading broadly and, and reading with a sermon outside only Christian books and even outside even only our own narrow faith tradition. So, so don't hear me about this. But what I do want you to do is to beware of those that would teach you something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would try to steal you away from believing and putting your trust and faith ultimately in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to press upon you that you must reject those that would preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Again, this is a gospel that is is bred in the world and it serves only the world and there's no hope beyond this world in a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I promise you, you will be healthy. I promise you will be wealthy. I promise you will be prosperous if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It just probably won't be in this life. It's what's called an over-realized eschatology. It's focused only on this world and not where our hope is placed in the Bible. I want you to reject those that would preach a political success gospel. In the left or the right. There are no amount of people who are trying to tell you how Jesus would tell you to vote. And isn't it weird how I've never heard anyone who tells you Jesus would tell you to vote for the other guy? Isn't that strange? You know, the Lord Jesus is on his side. You notice the Lord Jesus is always on their side? And all that matters, now listen, I think you ought to vote. I think you ought to vote your conscience. I think there are good ways to vote and bad ways to vote. So don't, don't mishear me here. But I, I want to encourage you, though, to be careful for those who are preaching a gospel that's only goal is to win the next election. And there are plenty of voices that would do that. Reject those who would preach a loveless, legalistic, Pharisee gospel. Re- reject those who would uh, preach theological progressivism and reject the core truths of the gospel. All of these different ways are ways that we can abandon the gospel that comes from God for a gospel that comes from and is rooted in the world. Many false prophets, John tells us, have gone into the world. It was true then, and it's true now. You'll never hear me say this very often, but embrace unbelief in order that your belief might be strengthened. Don't believe false things. Test every spirit in order that you know what you shouldn't believe, in order that what you believe might be strengthened. Here's the second point this morning. Not only should we be discerning even when something's spiritual, but second of all, I want to encourage you to be discerning by deepening your theology. Be discerning by deepening your theology. Now, this sermon series is titled Summer of Love, and I think one of the great errors of the day is the idea that you cannot hold deep theology and genuine love together. That is a great error. I think it's one of the great tricks of the devil to try to convince us that that's the case. That we, we need to, we need to sideline 
theology. We need to jettison theology if we're going to truly embrace love. That theology is going to kill love. Brothers and sisters, no, theology won't kill love. In fact, theology ought to make our love explode because it helps us understand the love of God. But at the very end of the day, what we must recognize is that as we hold love for others, we must also hold genuine biblical discernment. And John here is telling his readers, his hearers, that they must deepen their theology if they want to genuinely discern the messages that they're hearing. He emphasizes a doctrinal test when it comes to evaluating teachers, and in particular false teachers. Now we can't forget that John is not only focused on a doctrinal test in his book. This whole book is really addressed to help deal with false teachers, and he introduces three tests to us, not only the doctrinal test, but also the social test, the test of love. So I would encourage you to evaluate any teacher you have according to what sort of love it seems like they show. And then third of all, he also is encouraging a moral test, the test of righteousness. Is this person growing and encouraging me to grow in actual biblical holiness? We, We don't only focus on doctrine, but this text happens to be focused on doctrine, on deepening and strengthening our theology. Notice what he says in verse 2 and then in verse 3. By this, John tells us, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. It seems like particularly those who were teaching a false theology among John's hearers were denying the incarnation of Jesus. There are all sorts of heresies in the world of the early church. Most of them were rooted in things people believed already, and then they would try to acclimate this new faith of Christianity to what they believed already. They would try to create a sort of synergy between those two things. They would try to synchronize those two beliefs, what they believed already, and what they're trying to understand and who Jesus is. And then oftentimes error would emerge therefrom. But John here is helping give the his hearers, those who are struggling with these false teachers, a simple, easy way to immediately evaluate teaching. For us, we can put it like this. What is John really getting at here? Do they preach and teach the biblical Christ? Do they, if I were to just sum up verses 2 and 3, that's the question. Is their message a message of the biblical Lord Jesus Christ? Is their message a message of the gospel of the biblical whole Christ? John, in particular, mentions and emphasizes Jesus come in the flesh. But I want you to think through the implications of what he says. They must have embraced that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They cannot have denied Jesus. And notice what's implied in just this simple phrase, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Well, it's first of all, An implication of the full divinity of Jesus, is it not? To call Him Jesus Christ our Savior and to say He has come in the flesh. It seems self-evident that Jesus was a man who lived in the world and walked around in the world. And so to deny that Jesus has come in the flesh would say that He is only divine and not fully man. And so John is showing here the way that true teaching will hold to the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God. It's also, second of all, a description and implied a description of His full humanity. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He came into the world. He was incarnate. He was God forever. He has come and he is in the flesh. It's full divinity. It's full humanity. 
It's an ascription of His messianic work. It's an implication of what He did at the cross. People did not call Jesus Jesus. People did not call Jesus Jesus Christ before His death and resurrection. It is not. So you may not know this. It is not His last name. It is His title. He is Jesus Messiah, the Savior of the world. What is He saying? Jesus Christ has come in. The flesh. John's making sure it's clear that we understand him as Messiah. There's an implication of his suffering because his his coming in the flesh was the first step toward the cross. And then the fact that we call him Jesus Christ is an implication of his suffering. John then goes on negatively to state that anyone who does not confess Jesus is not from God. And as he narrows down to just confessing Jesus, he's showing the way. This is a holistic picture of the biblical Christ. Consider this. Consider this. Do they preach and teach the biblical Christ? Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. Jesus Christ, come from heaven, made flesh, dwelling among us, living the perfect life that we could not live, dying the sinner's death that we deserve, raised on the third day, now seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, the whole, full, biblical Christ, is the sum and substance of Christian theology. He is the center of what we believe. And once you lose Jesus Christ, you lose Christianity. I want you to know, my friends, The center of all our doctrine is the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of all our theology is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, His desire is to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit was sent to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. All of heaven unites in praises unto the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel which we hope in, the gospel which we believe, the one hope we have in this world is secured by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody can claim to have a message from God unless it is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you might wonder why we want to go deeper at First Baptist Church Gadsden. While we talk about theology, while we teach theology at Training You on Wednesday nights, while we do FBC Coffee House and talk about some of these different things, while I preach through books of the Bible, I want you to deepen your theology so you are not easily tempted by false teaching, even false teaching that, God forbid, might come from this pulpit or even from this mouth. I, I want you to hold me accountable. Not only those outside here there will be no healthy churches that do not have deep strong theology be discerning my friends even when something is spiritual be discerning by deepening your theology and finally be discerning by hearing and trusting the word of god be discerning by hearing and trusting the word of god john stops talking about the false teachers for just a moment, and he decides to talk about you. He decides to talk about me. Those who read this letter, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What is he saying to them in verse 4? You know God and you love God and you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 
And you have something in you already that is greater than what the world offers. That is, these false gospels are trying to offer you something that's ultimately rooted in the world alone. Why would you want a shrunken gospel? Why would you want a truncated gospel that fits only the order of this world when the order of this world, as Paul tells us, is passing away? Why wouldn't you want an eternal gospel? A gospel that lasts forever. He's showing them in verse 5 that what the false teachers are peddling is a worldly gospel. They are from the world, verse 5. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We, verse 6, are from God. I think John referring to himself and the other apostles, those who teach the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John and the apostles are not alive. So how do we apply this for the church today? What do I do? Do I stand up here and say, those who listen to me are from God, and those who don't are not from God? Far be it that I would say such a thing. Why was John so bold as to make a claim like this for he and his, uh, I believe, apostolic colleagues? Because the Lord Jesus Christ Himself had given them authority in His church. Because the Holy Spirit then inspired John and the other apostles to write down their uh, understanding and what Jesus had given to them. They wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what Jesus had taught them and applied it to the life of the local church. And these words that they wrote are in themselves because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They are themselves the very words of God. And so brothers and sisters, in order to listen the way John is telling his hearers to listen, We must hear and believe and trust the Word of God. We have the Bible to which we should pay ever more close attention. Do you want to? I hope you do. Do you want to grow in godly discernment? Hear and trust the Word of God. Does a preacher rightly divide the Word of truth? If not, don't listen. If someone is from God... They'll preach the Word. If someone is sent from the Lord, they'll preach the Word. This is how we know. This is how we test the spirits. This is how we discern the truth. We read the Bible. We meditate on the Bible. We find good books that are rooted in the Bible. Come here and you know my commitment is to preach the Bible. We sing the Bible. We teach the Bible. We live in this book. Brothers and sisters, test everything. Test what I say. Go home in the afternoon and look back over the passage and just say, did he really get that right? Is what he's saying really reflecting the Word of God? Test everything against the Word. There would be no greater joy I would have, and I have a joy in this reality, that this be a Berean congregation. Those who hear a message and immediately say, is that in the Bible? Is that in the Word? Test everything against the Word. Hear and trust the Word of God. Friends, there will always be some new fad theology. Some cool, fresh error. Something that sounds a little bit better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it may even bear fruit for a little while. But remember, a new broom always sweeps well. There will always be some grifters masquerading as preachers who want to sell you something at the expense of the gospel. 
But I promise you, they're not worth what they think they're worth. No preacher is worth anything unless he is carrying treasure in the earthen vessel of his life. What treasure is there but the gospel preached from the Word of God? Never, my friends, never settle for a gospel that is born out of the world when you can believe the gospel that came straight out of heaven. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. This gospel is not flashy. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the proclamation of a bloodied and murdered king. It's the proclamation of someone who was fully subjugated to Roman power. It is not flashy. It does not seem like the latest and greatest, but things are not always as they seem. What looks weak and foolish, what indeed looks like a lamb who was slain to the world, is actually the wisdom and power of God. John tells us later in his revelation, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Brothers and sisters, let's grow in godly discernment so that we can hold on to Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God. Jesus, come in the flesh. Let's hold on to Him and His gospel no matter what. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I offer today for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I I believe if you'll turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. Second of all, this morning, if you uh, are a Christian and you have business to do with the Lord, I'd love for you to take some time at this altar if you want to talk to me or if you want to pray right where you are. uh, I want you to do business with the Lord here in just a moment. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. And I can't begin to tell you what a joy it would be for me to talk to you today about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.